This is Jennifer Still, and you are listening to episode one of the Pencil Skirt Posse, a podcast for all professionals in any season. Meadows with us. Kelly is the founder and chief glow officer of Glow Consulting Group, a group focusing on modernizing the hiring process for many organizations here in the Atlanta market and across the country. Kelly has a background in industrial organizational psychology and almost 20 years experience in the recruiting space. So hi, Kelly. It's great to have you today. Hi, thanks for having me. So today, we are specifically wanting to talk with you about the hiring process and how both the hiring company and the candidate may have influence on creating a better experience because anyone that has been on the market here in these last few years, it's it's a new world and it's tough and it's really, really interesting as well to see some of the things that make us all scratch our heads on both sides of the conversation. This feels really timely with the explosion of layoffs and on the heels of the great resignation. And I think one of the things that when we were first talking, you mentioned that people are just up against a completely different environment. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I think the environment has changed so dramatically from all the remote positions that came after the pandemic and then the explosion of needs from such a growth in e-commerce and different business lines. And now we're seeing where companies feel like they've overhired and they want to lay people off. And now we're, I think, going to see where companies are going to be a little bit more flexible in the way they hire. We're going to see a lot more people with contract positions, part-time positions, a lot more side hustles, including myself, because I just think people have realized that one revenue stream is just not enough for a stable lifestyle. Awesome. And it gives us all kinds of opportunities for balance in our lives that we've learned that we need and desire after being home for a couple of years. And so, you know, I think today, if we could focus on talking a little bit about just the hiring timeline and and how it it seems to have morphed, and I really feel like it has just gotten longer and longer and longer. Um, And then also some of the other trends that we're seeing in the hiring process as candidates and companies. Mm -hmm. I think one of the biggest things that I've noticed in terms of timeline is companies just don't have one. As candidates typically want it to be fast because or they want to line it up with other opportunities that they're talking to. So in some cases, they may want an interview process to take two to three weeks so that they can align all the offers at the same time and make a decision between them. Whereas the companies think they want two or three people to interview a candidate, and then all of a sudden that hiring panel grows overnight to six, seven, eight people. And then all of a sudden that timeline has gone from that two-week time period to two months to three months. And then by that time, you've got leadership wondering if they even really need the position or if the position should be the same thing. So you're wasting a lot of people's money and time in all of this stretch timeline. So I think companies um, and candidates have a, a shared responsibility to make sure that the timeline actually happens and stays a little bit more like confined to yeah. a, a realistic Yeah. Frame. So when you say that companies don't have a timeline, is it arbitrary? Is it really they just go into it without a formulated plan of who's going to hire or interview for which positions? So I think sometimes it really is that way. It's just, I, you know, we're just going to see who's on the market. <laughs> and, and, they, <laughs> and they go about it from that perspective. And 
Um, but then sometimes they say, I-, I really want to interview someone next week, but they haven't ironed out all of the all of the partners in the process. They haven't ironed out whether or not the position's even approved. There can be so many different levels to a position and its ability to come to complete fruition. And so I think a lot of times people are just stuck in the what they need and not enough in how to get there or what to do to get there. And so making sure that when you start interviewing for a position for people out there looking at jobs right now, making sure that you understand all of the players involved, which I know we're going to talk about, but then also when are the next stages going to happen? How long is it going to take to get through those stages and what can be expected at each stage? What questions are going to be asked um, so that you can prepare? But companies need to just actually do it. I think a lot of times these it's the last thing on their mind. Yeah. yeah. What do you, so every company is talking about they want to hire top talent. Everybody wants top talent. How are companies hurting themselves with these timelines and trying to attract that top talent? Yeah. Well, that's a great question. The, it's an indication of how you operate internally, how you manage your um, interview process with top talent is a a firm indication of how you're going to move a project timeline internally. So if you're, if you are interviewing a top talent candidate and you take too long, I say a lot of times it's like dating, people will fall out of love very quickly, both on the company side and then also on the candidate side. If you start the interview and then it goes two days, three days, you don't hear anything, you're starting to think that they fell out of love with you or they didn't like you that much. And then the same on the company side. If the company asks for a follow-up or you forget to send a thank you note or um, any any sort of level from a candidate, they can also fall out of love. So I think it's really important that both sides stay tight, but also you can lose top talent because they'll just say, well, I'm considering another offer. They don't want to hurt feelings, just like companies don't want to hurt feelings. And so it'll end up being a very quick, you know, sort of text message breakup situation rather than mm-hmm. um, actually realizing that you have created a situation where you've you've your timeline's been so long that you lost that top talent so yeah there's mm-hmm. probably another 10 reasons that I could come up with as to how this specific process causes an issue for top talent but that one in particular so when we're talking about timelines a couple of questions what is a reasonable timeline and in addition to that it seems as though when companies are hiring for higher level roles or executive level roles, the timeline tends to take even longer. Is that really necessary? Yeah. Um, I think this answer is depends, right? Because I think a lot of times with a, with a higher level role, if you have like, for instance, in my past executive roles, I had a hundred reports or more. And so you, find yourself in a situation where you can't hire someone to lead that many people without a lot of buy-in. So you really do have to have six or seven people as part of the interview process, which is not ideal because everybody has a day job. And so getting through that type of an interview process in a couple of weeks is complicated. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you're looking at an individual contributor, I really think that a two-week interview process is something that companies should stick to. I mean, I used to say you should get through an interview process in five days when the market was so hot last year. Um, And I would really push our teams to do that on um, a couple of different occasions 
over multiple years of my career, not just one position. Because I think five days is that time frame where you create a lot of connection, inspiration, commitment, and you can align your values together. And if you don't do it quickly, then it typically tends to fray apart and and things get sort of lost in the in translation. Yeah. So you said six to seven for those roles. That five days, I mean, that sounds amazing, right? Five, we can shoot for five days. If it takes two weeks, then, you know, that's good too. But then after that, like, it's kind of like a little bit stale, right? And those people probably have multiple offers by that point. So then it's like buying a house. You now have a bidding war for this person's time. And it and if they've had a, even an extra week of lag time, they're less inspired and they're less excited about the role. And they might go take the, the role that was a little bit more recent in an interview. Mm-hmm. Or, or this just gives other companies an opportunity to snatch up that top talent. You mentioned six to seven interviews for roles with direct reports. And thinking about that, that sounds like you want to make sure that they interview with the whoever they'll be reporting to and maybe a next level leader or board peers that they'll be collaborating with on a daily basis to drive the company forward. And then most likely a couple of their direct reports. Somebody very close to me was recently put through a four month interview process that had 23 interviews. And my advice to that person was, this is not a buy-in problem. This is a passive resistance problem. Do you see where companies in a sense are attempting to protect themselves against you know, some sort of coup where someone's going to be sabotaged in their new role if they don't have the right people bought in. Mm-hmm. So why would a company put someone through that much is my question. Right. I, I think I think a lot of times is a good intention. I think a lot of companies believe that if they get buy-in from their leadership team on a new person that they're bringing in, and particularly uh, someone in a leadership role, it's so important that everyone's on board. The problem is very rarely is everyone on board right. with any decision. Mm-hmm. And so it makes it really complicated. And you might not even end up with the right leader. Most of the time, you don't want the candidate that's going to win the popularity contest. You want the candidate who's most qualified to do the tasks that you're asking to be accomplished. You know, it's all about impact. And most top talent impact people, I don't think of the title for that, they they don't rub every single person the right way. It's just not a reality. And so getting your arms around the hiring panel and just as much from the candidate's point of view as the interviewer, if if you're talking to a company and they suggest you have to go through six rounds of interviews, it's okay to say, how many people do I have to speak with for a decision to be made? Who is Who are the decision makers? You mentioned earlier talking to direct reports, which is fine, but those are called meet and greets. Those shouldn't be an actual decision-making process. It should be more of, I wanna make sure you meet the people before you walk in the door that are gonna be reporting to you so they don't feel blindsided, you don't feel blindsided, you make sure you understand the culture, personality of those people. There's a lot that we could probably talk about when it comes to this particular topic. I think um, more than anything, once an interview process passes that month mark, there's going to be quite, there should be questions from the company as to whether or not they really needed the position, whether or not they're marketing themselves well, because I really feel like the hiring process is your, your biggest advertisement. I think a lot of times companies underestimate word of mouth. I remember a huge company here in Atlanta that made some really bad decisions around hiring and then more so their culture internally. And they didn't understand why no one wanted to work for them. 
And I remember being a recruiter and calling and people saying, I'm not working for them. I've heard horrible things. It was all word of mouth. It's all word of mouth. It's the same thing. Now it's so fast to be word of mouth, you know, Mm -hmm. DMs and Instagram. It's Mm -hmm. not necessarily the posts that you see out there. I think about that Stanley Cup that's like crazy everywhere and I just bought Mm -hmm. one. It's the same thing. It's like if everybody is influencing you to do one thing, then that's what's going to happen. So companies have to be really careful about those four-month interview processes because that person that went through that, they're certainly sharing that experience with lots of people. That's risky. Yeah, it's yeah. risky. So that's, yeah, so that's good. So we've talked a little bit about these committee-based decisions and, and who's going to be involved in that. One thing you just mentioned here is that recognize that you won't have agreement 100% likely. So it's really understanding who that decision maker, those decision makers are up front, who the tiebreaker is up front, and then how to address the people that you aren't going to maybe have agreement with and say, you know, we're going to make this decision and here's why. And is, I mean, how do you handle that? I don't even know. Yeah, I think what's really important for companies to understand is they have to be very transparent about who is a decision maker and who is not. Who is providing feedback from an interview purely for the sake of being a part of the process for their own career development and who is actually making the decision. I have always had in my, ever since I moved into leadership, I thought it was so important to have people part of the process, but to also make sure that they were very clear on where they stood in it. For instance, um, many, many years ago, I would have um, you know a group of, of uh, three people that were responsible for saying yes or no, and then maybe, but it's really up to the person that that individual reports to, to do the yes or no, because at the the end of the day, that person is the one responsible for that individual's success, right? So you're partnering with that boss to make something happen. Yes, you're partnering with peers. Yes, you're partnering with your direct reports, but you you really have to make sure that there is a single point and then, you know, committee on the other side of it, but a single point of failure when it comes to who is making a decision. Otherwise, that's where these timelines get stretched out. Then nobody mm-hmm. wants to be responsible for hiring the wrong person, right? Mm-hmm. Is there anything the candidate can do? I love that you said, you know, find out who the decision makers are and find out how many people you have to talk to. And if the company says, we don't know, or this is a very important position, do you run away? No. Uh, yeah. I mean, sometimes, yeah. yeah. If, they, if after some clarifying questions, they can't give you more detail, sure, run away. Because like I said, that is totally indicative of how they're going to work with you once you become an employee, if they can't make a decision. Mm-hmm. So asking things like, how many people do I need to talk to? What are their names and titles? I'd like to do some research on them well in advance of having the interview. How long do you expect this to take? These are all totally normal questions that I think candidates put in a tough position, like the ones that a lot of these people laid off or put into. They're just so excited to get the interview Mm -hmm. that they're not stopping to say, who are you as a company? It's just like if you go on a date. You're not going to sit down with somebody and just, uh, you know, not ask any questions about them as an individual and as a person it's kind of the same thing but in terms of you've got to see a bigger scope of their lives you're going to ask that person about their family you're going to ask them about you know maybe previous girlfriends who knows (laughs) you should ask all that kind of stuff when you're talking to a company and the same thing with a company the company should put their best foot forward providing references of previous um, reports. You know, I think it's so natural for people to ask for references um, from candidates, 
but candidates should be asking for references from their new boss. Hmm. You know, who was the last person that quit? Can I talk to them? What do you think they're going to say? You know, and if they say yes, that might be somebody you really want to work for, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, You mentioned that that candidates are so excited or eager to get the interview. And that is so true, especially because what we're hearing is that if you talk to folks that are on the market, they feel like they're sending their resumes into a black hole. It is like this resume abyss. And they're sending it into jobs where the job description is even a little bit more like you need to have these 10 bullet points, but it doesn't really tell you what you're going to do. Talk to me a little bit about looking for or creating, I guess, not looking for, but creating impactful job descriptions as we want to engage these top talent candidates. So this one you're probably going to have to stop me on because I'm so passionate about having better content in, in a job description. I think a lot of times when you write a resume as a candidate, you write it all for impact. There's so much content out there about how you need to write a resume to say all of the things that you did that are above and beyond. You're not going to write that you can use Word. But yet when you read a job description, it's a series of bullet points that are tasks and not where you're going to be impactful. The good companies will write a bit of a paragraph at the beginning that say where your impact will be and how this is going to grow your career. But I really love to see companies, you know, in the future do a much better job of partnering with the people who are are hiring for positions and create the impact. It's all about impact. When you're building your career, you know you've got to build your resume. You've got to grow your network. You have to do all of these things. Yet the companies are doing the opposite of that. So I, I think in writing it, you just have to think, what would somebody at the end of the year brag about to their friends? Or what would, what would give them the promotion to the next job over the job that they're interviewing for? That's what should be listed in the job description. Not that they can use, uh, you know, be able to answer the phone and communicate well. I mean, you have to communicate well, no matter what position you're in. Let's skip that on the job description. Let's... Let's talk a little bit more about what communicating well will create for you as a professional. The, what I call in consulting that so what factor. Like, why are we doing this project? Why are we, why are we hiring for this role? What is this going to do for the company? And what do we need you to be able to do as a candidate to be successful in this role? Right. It's a 50-50 sales cycle. Everybody always asks, like, I'm the company. Well, everybody's been through up markets and down markets. And you, you, like you said earlier, Everybody wants top talent. Okay, well, to get top talent, you have to market to the right person. And the right person has tons of opportunities and is not looking. Hmm. I hesitate when I say that because there's so many people who have been laid off that are amazing in what they do. Um, And they'll be flooded with opportunities and they'll have to pick the right one. And if companies don't put the right foot forward in this space, then they're going to lose out. And they're going to continue with C players and wonder why. Do you think companies are going to migrate towards reducing the force that is the C player to be able to take on some of these other I candidates? think there's, well, certainly there's some companies that have been pretty vocal about how they're performance reducing. It's mm-hmm. the, it's the new, it's the new, new, like, let's not say that we're laying people off because we made poor executive decisions. Let's not take responsibility for that. Let's put it on all these people and say that they sucked because that's way easier and i think what's really important for companies to understand is 
it started with their hiring process. And it's not necessarily mm-hmm. that they were bad at interviewing or picking the right person. They didn't even have access to the right people because they weren't doing it the right way. Oh, wow. They didn't have access to the right people because they weren't doing it the right way. Yeah, I mean, the right way, wrong way, but they weren't doing it in a way that was conducive to getting A players. Or if they got A players and they operated internally like they interview, then they didn't keep them for very long, you know? Yeah, for sure. What are some ways, you know, it is interesting. So we have these folks that are um, that have hit the market. We have companies that still seem to have holes to fill. You see folks are hiring every day on LinkedIn. So we have our timeline. We have, let's not rule by committee. Let's have a clear path. We've got maybe an impactful job description to attack, attract top talent. And then there's also this piece of, are there ways to, you know, as consultants, we know how impactful you can be even in a contract or even in like a consulting space. Is there a, is there a way for companies to dip their toe in the water to find the top talent or for candidates to dip their toe in the water with a company to see if it's the right company for them, like a trial and error or a trial, a trial period. Right. Are there any, what else can we be thinking about? Well, I mean, my whole career is based off of that. The majority of my career was spent in technical recruiting, which is contract work. And a lot of people have a hard time understanding how consulting works or contract or any of those things is you've got to explain it a lot of the time, especially for those who have been in a full-time job for the majority of their career. So you mean the candidates have a hard time understanding yeah. or so, getting their brain around some mm-hmm. of that risk that they're taking on? If you're on. outside of technology too, because I think that with candidates, they think I've got to be full-time. If I'm contract, it looks like I'm temp. I'm using the whatever you call these. Air quotes. Air quotes. <laughs> um, you know, they're temp. And, and that's, I think, going to work itself out because of what we were talking about earlier with people wanting to find multiple streams of income. I mean, if these markets teach us anything, it's that you should not have one stream of income. Anything can happen at any time. It's so important to find different ways to do things. So back to your question though, with companies who go through the interview process and there's and there's a little bit of unsure from the candidate or from the company, there's always a way to bring someone in. And we're gonna see this a lot in a, in, in a down market, whether it goes really down or not, I'm not sure. But they hire contract because they don't want to hire full time. And I think it's a, a great way for candidates to examine all of their passions and not just one. I don't think any of us were born to just be one thing. You know, I have this huge passion in making soups and stews. And, you know, one day I'm hoping that that will be like, you know, a, a revenue stream for me. But I think what's really cool about the way that remote work has happened and companies being so accessible over Zoom and Teams and all these different things, you shouldn't have to just work one job. And sometimes companies don't need someone to work one job. So instead of laying people off, why not offer a 50% matchup with those people? Why not offer a 50% matchup for a candidate that you're talking to, you know, for 50% of their time or full-time? 
you know, but it's faster to onboard people if they're contract than mm-hmm. it is to, to hire them. For sure. Time. For sure. And that, I mean, that really stretches our brains. That gives us a completely different way of thinking about this that other companies or that some companies might not be thinking about. That might shake some of the structure of these companies and it might create, especially in some of the bigger companies, it might create more complexity. But a lot of times those large enterprise organizations are the ones that already have this stood up and have this mechanism in place. And it's not unheard of that they have folks come in, even if it's for years on end, as long as co-employment allows, right, to be in mm-hmm. a in, to be in this contracting space, and especially in technology, or as projects ebb and flow. I think that's we'll have to have you back to talk a little bit more about what when contract is suitable, because it sounds like you have a lot of expertise in that space. So just to recap, we've talked a lot about making sure that to, to attract this top talent, you want to have a timeline, you want to have about a two weeks timeline for an individual contributor, if not less, and tops a month for for people leaders and even executives. Limit those interviews to around to six to seven leaders. As you're thinking about how to make decisions, identify the players and the decision makers upfront before you even get started. And then as a leader who's gonna be the hiring manager, recognize that you're not gonna have, or you likely won't have 100% buy-in from everyone and be prepared to manage those conversations. And then also just be aware of the brand that you're building out in the marketplace. And if you are a flexible employer that can offer contract or other creative ways of onboarding to give some of this top talent the ability to pick and choose between what they may wanna be and then put your best foot forward when they're onboarding and as an as a candidate put your best foot forward as you're in that contracting space and then ultimately we want to make sure that we're we're doing things as we said the quote right way and building those impactful job descriptions sounds so easy it's so simple i don't know what we're waiting on Yeah, I we just covered that in half an hour and I think that we're good to go and you can go make some soup. I mean, I think you wrapped up the whole reason why I started Glow because it really does need sort of an intervention. But also I think a lot of companies just don't realize how much it impacts their business, you know, but it, it, a lot of this stuff's not rocket science. It's very simple. It's just a matter of executing it so that you can get the right people mm-hmm. the right time. Mm-hmm. And really putting as executives really leaning in and and maybe even applying some pressure to our people organizations to say, hey, we've got to get some of the structure in place because we're walking into a very competitive environment now Mm -hmm. on both sides of the coin. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being here. This is so fun. You're my first guest ever. This is exciting. And so, you know, I've read, I've seen a couple of times where people have said, when you start a podcast, you're supposed to suck. So I think we did pretty well. Yeah, we'll see. I think people will tell us whether we sucked or not. You know, (laughs) the internet's pretty good at that. But this is fun. Now I want to do this all the time. I love it. See, this is going to be another source, right? Another, it could be another passion project for both of us. So, hey, let us know how to find you so that we can tap into some more of your great expertise. Okay, so I have a website, and it is glowcogroup.com. It's really simple. And then my email is the same, Kelly at Glowco Group. So that is that is it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here, and we'll see you next time. Bye.